Welcome to the Witches and Wine audio experience. Tempest Zakoff, Laura's book, which is called Sigil Witchery. Now, Sigil Witchery is, I think, a pretty revolutionary book. I think I could get start, start with, like, what is a sigil for people? Are like, what is that? Sigil is any mark or drawn symbol, like we painted, carved, drawn, all these different things, uh, that is believed to have magical properties. But in modern occultism, uh, and particularly in, in the Western world of it, People tend to relegate it to chaos magic and to ceremonial magic. And particularly one method is that you would take a clarified sentence so that, you know, I will, I do a thing and you command that thing to happen. And then you cut out the letters, depending on which method, you might cut out all the vowels. Uh, some people cut out all the consonants, you know, varies a little bit, all your duplicate letters, and then rearrange it into a new format. And then activate it in some way or release it. And uh, that definitely is a method that works. But for folks who are a little more right-brained, and I feel like most witches and a lot of different types of magical practitioners are more right-brained. You know, you're thinking about visualization. If you do meditation, uh, if you are doing a lot of artistry, whether it's music, it's writing, doing fine art, you're already working in your right brain. So that task of scrambling something up and devoiding it of meaning to then be like, okay, I'm done with it. It's sort of against the natural flow of magic and that you come up with an idea, you focus your intent, your will, you tap into the universe and then you push it out there. That requires focus rather than trying to scramble up your brain. For folks who are very left-brained, that kind of scramble helps them push to be a little bit more creative. But if you're already creative, it's like, oh, okay, this is a little weird. The method that we talk about in Sigil Witchery is a more automatic process that comes from pulling from your own symbols and just working it down to a point so that you're focused and that you're familiar with it. You don't have to scramble up your brain in order to work magic. Before I read your book, I always thought of sigils as, well, you take a sentence you know, just like words, like those abstract words. We're creating the word cat because we're trying to make a representation of the word cat in our mind. So it's not the actual mm -hmm. words that are important, the actual letters. It's the visuals that go with or the concept that goes with the word. How did you come to this, this idea? I think it started when I was a little girl. Uh, my father is a sort of visual artist, and, and I grew up with all of these books on art history and little replicas of Stonehenge and cave paintings and uh, looking at the cliff dwellers. And so I was ex exposed to all these different cultures of the world and these early forms of art. And then going to art school at a very young age, started at three, 
my, I became more comfortable with visual language, like the symbols of the world versus you know, speaking and talking about it first. So art was my first instinct of how to interact with the world. When I got to, I guess, the teen, teen years as developing as an artist, I was also incorporating those early ideas about magic because that was when I was finding out that, wait, there's this thing called witchcraft, there's paganism, there's something outside of Abrahamic religion. I was drawn to Native American systems when I was young, but I knew I'm not, I'm of many things, I have many different cultures in my background, but I'm not, not any of the Native American past. So I, at that, you know, 13 or 14, I was going, this isn't really for me, I appreciate it. So to find out that going back to my ancestors, whether that's in North Africa or going to the Slavic regions or going to Italy, throughout Mediterranean, like, wait, there are still people who believe in the old ways and the old gods and these folklore practices. And so that became a focus in my artwork is exploring myth and using symbols further on as, you know, developed as, as a witch and as an artist, I was teaching a workshop called Visual Alchemy, which is about the intersection of art and magic. And in that, I look at the history of art making, whether that is, um, you know, bouquet paintings or stupas or sand paintings, all these different cultural works of magic. And then I show some of my art because you can always talk about what are you doing to do it. And like, what are these things in the corner? What's this stuff over here? I'm like, well, these are sigils. And I'm like, well, how did you make them? Because they're different from what we're used to with, you know, ceremony or chaos magic. So I had to reverse engineer was a very intuitive process for me. And that became a workshop and then became a book. There's actually parts in the book where we can start to talk about our own sort of symbolic resonances and alignments. We each have whatever language that we're exposed to growing up or languages. Uh, so we have that cultural alliance with language and what's around us. We have the symbolism from street signs to what you're shown in kindergarten, you know, to uh, different other, um, like, the sacramental parts of our lives, whether, you know, what the wedding ring might look like or the ceremony um, to death images, right? We each have, you know, each culture has little variations. That's ingrained in us. Like, that's where we, we come from, whether, you know, we have roots from far away, it's like, there's that language that we grew up with. And then there's also the basis for all symbolic language, which I talk about in the book. We have a common underlying thread of a dot and a mark, a star. You know, what does a square mean? What is a circle? Well, you know, everybody can look at that, and you're going to have your own personal relationship with that symbol. Uh, a good example is the, the um, number sign, right? our little tic-tac-toe board, which, you know, was the pound sign on the phone, or it's a sharp sign for musicians. And in the last, oh, five, six years or so, maybe a little longer than that, it's become the hashtag, right? And so you have this one symbol that it doesn't have one meaning. It has a different reference depending on what age, where you're coming from, how are you using it. The same with it, the asterisk. And that can be a coding symbol for standing in for something else. You see them in Veves, in uh, voodoo symbols, right? And, uh, you know, it's that, oh, that idea that something else is there. 
you know, but it's an ancient symbol. You see them in the cave paintings. You see them everywhere. And if we hold on to that idea that these symbols have been around for a long time, but they are constantly shifting and evolving, then that means what you, if you have a personal relationship with a square, you're like, I identify as a square. You know, it's a foundation. It makes me feel balanced. And you know, someone else goes, oh, I, I feel like the square like confines me and it makes me feel like I'm just, I'm mean, really uncomfortable. That's fine. Like you're going to have that personal relationship. And that's what's most important. Not some like random square of, you know, letters from a language that you don't even understand. Like this is the only magical language that works. Is this thing over here, this one over there. Like, Hebrew. It's great. Like, Hebrew, the Hebrew letters were a response to hieroglyphics. And so they weren't meant to look like anything. So it's hilarious if you look down the line that ceremonial magicians are using them to create images and pictures out of them. I think it's so important that we recognize what powerful symbols that we have in our life that we assign meaning to, rather than being like, oh, well, some white dude, you know, 50 years ago or 100 years ago came up with this thing. Like, that, that's, one, that's one approach to it. But we have thousands of years of making powerful, magical symbols. And I want people to tap back into that rather than worrying about doing it wrong because some guy said this is the only way to do it. Or even if he didn't say it was the only way to do it, the other people down the line said this is the only way to do it. It's not. There's Magic is, is open to everyone. I remember like when I first went to Korea and I saw a lot of swastikas. And I was like, what the fuck is going on, right? I was like, is there some sort of neo-Nazi uprising here that I don't know about? And then somebody told me, actually, the swastikas are a symbol of Buddhism. So anytime there's a temple, a Buddhist temple, they mark it with a swastika. Because Korea doesn't have a history of Nazism, that they can have maps, tons of maps showing these are the Buddhist like temples, swastika, 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 swastika. That would not fly in America. That would not fly in Germany. But can you talk more about how you use sigils in your art? I use them a lot for uh, composition. Uh, in the sense, like, if I'm doing a spellcraft piece that it was, it's going to have various images, such as, like, the witch heart has the human heart and then seven herbs that are used for flying ointments. And that's trans experience and off to the side of that meaning is this transformative sigil that's about being rooted but also expanding out and so it plays a part in balancing the composition but it also is like this seal like last little moment that's put onto the painting uh, so that that's one way of working them in there i use them for tiny little spell paintings for other people so they get very simplified on these little tiny adorable ones mm -hmm. they're just fun and they're great focus for people and so uh, like for example i did one for someone who wants to get pregnant and that little tiny tile of the painting has this rabbit you know, the hair which is known for fertility right and it also had her favorite flower you know that was an important symbol for her and then just these little tiny central points, like a little bit of a triangle, a little bit of dots that helps round it and set it off. And within six months, she was pregnant. And now she has a little boy. So, like, yay! You know, it's that, that little bit of focus. 
um, visual aid, right? And then she didn't even have to, she didn't have to make it. She requested me to make it for her. But that art carries the power. Uh, and what I love is like, even with prints, like, you're like, oh, it must be the original. Like, no, people get prints of art and they respond to it. So art has power in all those different forms. So you don't have to create the sigil yourself as long as you get that reaction. I think a lot of people, they're so focused on the technique. They're so focused on that sort of like very top level that they forget mm -hmm. the very foundational parts of magic, right? Which is what's the emotional gut reaction that you get? Your book lays out this great plan. So I can almost imagine um, a young woman. She's just like, you know what? I really want to do some effective bomb ass magic. I want to create some awesome sigils. She gets your book. She reads it. And there's like a plan. Boom, boom, boom. First, you plan and create the sigil. What do you mean by planning and creating sigils? What's a really great way to do it? So it's the four-step process. Is The first one is I like to say, like, what's your problem? <laughs> what is your issue? What is your goal? What is it that you want to accomplish? Which any spell that you want to do, whether it's lighting a candle, doing some herbs, doing a large ritual with lots of fancy things, you have to go, what is it that I want to accomplish? So whether that's a problem, a goal, think about that. So that's step one. Step two is brainstorm. So let's say you want to get a job. You don't want to be like, oh, I, I'll just take any job. No, you specifically want a job that has so many hours uh, in a particular area. Um, how do you want to be treated at that job? Especially if you're going from another job where you're unhappy. You know, how much money you want to make. All these different things, you sit down and brainstorm. So you can write down the words. And then the third step is design. And the designing part is to correlate with those words, what are the symbols that are important to you? So if you're looking for upward mobility in your job, like you, you've been staying at this one level and you want to become a manager, what, is that, what does that symbolize? What can that be? Uh, it could be an arrow you know, going upward. Uh, you can start with the dot of where you are and if that arrow comes up out of it. Uh, if you want to get a tenfold increase in your what money you make, well, what represents ten to you? An X for Roman numeral, ten little dots, a ten-pointed star, a little polygon. You know, there's all these different things that you can decide have those, those meanings. And sometimes you'll have the overlap. So if you have a your arrow that's shooting up and your ten little stars around it, you know, and then you can put a circle because you want to contain it and you want to get your job within three days. And so you put three little marks on the bottom. Like you can really play with that. And then you'll step back and go, I've got it. And you can do that with a piece of paper, you know, a receipt that's in your purse, a ballpoint pen that you wild crafted from the bank or, you know, <laughs> the doctor's office, wherever you got it. And you just draw it there and you'll step back and go, yeah, that feels right. You're not going to you know, get magical bells going off or anything else. It comes in you that you go, I get this. I understand this. This feels right. And then from there, it's how do you apply it? So I, I call the fourth step apply or acknowledge. Some people say activate. I believe that moment when you step back from designing and say, this looks good. I like this. That's your activation. Like you have already started this computer program in your mind. So you hit enter when you went, okay, boom. So it's already happened. 
you don't have to do anything else if you don't want to. Like, that's it. I'm just going to tuck it into my wallet. That's it. Call it a day. You know, make sure you send your resumes out into the world because that's how you do. You got to do the mundane things as well. It helps. But let's say you you want to do a ritual process because some people do need that extra step. Uh, and so it could be that you take a bar of soap and you carve the sigil into the soap and that you, you wash in the morning and you think about that job that you're going to manifest, right? Because it's kind of fun. And it could be an herbal soap that's invigorating or so, you know, something that has prosperity or association with that with it. Uh, you can have a cookie you know, or a sandwich where you draw with icing or with mustard or whatever kind of liquid thing. You can draw your sigil and you can eat it. That could be fun. You can have it where you, like, sharpie it, as I recommend that, because, you know, some markers are not that great for your skin. But say you do, like, a little with your um, mascara, you know, or your, your eye pencil, right? You can put that in a little spot somewhere so that you know it's there. Or with oils, essential oils, you can draw it on your skin like that. So there are so many different options. And that's it. Like you don't have to burn it, and you want to burn it. Like I said, if you like setting things on fire, you can set things on fire. <laughs> For me personally, if I set something on fire, it's because I'm banishing it or I'm cleansing it in some way. You know, there's some other connection, symbolic connection. The same way I might dissolve something in water, or I might draw it out of incense and have it go up into the air. So having those further connections that feel right for you is going to be the right choice for what you do with your sigil. The way that I learned sigil magic was through a Grant Morrison video. Write in a desire, quite simple, say it is my desire that you know, my cat wins the Olympics. Take it all the vowels, right? <laughs> write this down for fuck's sake and do it. Don't just listen, do it, right? Take out the vowels and you'll be left with a string of consonants. Take out the repeated consonants and you'll be left with a string of consonants that have no repeats in it, you know, whatever, X, Y, A, D, whatever. Turn that thing into a little image. Take the D, draw a big D, then you've got a T, draw a T under it, and keep reducing it down until it looks magical. And there are no rules for this thing. Do it until it looks magical. And sigils, and I mentioned this in previous interviews, sigils have not really worked for me in the past. And I'm wondering if it's because they just didn't feel right to me. Yeah, you, you have to find the, the path that works best and feels comfortable. And I've, what I've heard is I've taught, I've taught this workshop now for a couple of years and we've both sat around, is I've had people who say, oh, I don't know if it's gonna work, I can never draw, I can't draw, and I'm an artist. And then by the end of the workshop, or and, you know, once they've read the book, or a couple weeks later, they're like, look at the thing I drew, and then the thing happens. And I think it's because you need to find that or organic, intuitive path for yourself. And some systems just don't really, you know, set things on fire. Digitals are essentially simplified spellcraft, right? But you, you could, if you want, get out the rue and the vervain and all the salts and make sure the moon is doing whatever the moon is doing. You know, you can pull in all these correlations to do a very complicated spell. Or you can pull in the symbols that represent these things and just sit there with yourself on any given day of the lunar cycle or, you know, whatever Sabbath it is or, you know, the morning in your cup of coffee and put things together. You don't need all the extra stuff. And I think 
with witchcraft particularly, that's that self-empowerment, that you are capable of doing the thing. You don't need anybody else's, you know, permission for you to do it. You are making it happen. And when I say, like, this is a little computer program, like, your brain is this amazing computer. And so you are essentially getting to your code. And it's, from for computer jargon speak, it's low code, right? It's that immediate computer speak. Instead of being like, okay, well, I need all the extra stuff up here for to make a show of it. Yeah, some people need the show. Some people are like, I just I just want to have my cup of coffee right now. I don't want to. I don't want all the fancy stuff. Yeah, uh, but you can make it as fancy as you want. A lot of people, especially um, young people, people of color, underprivileged people, they don't have the money to go out and buy herbs and fancy crystals and stuff. Because if you think about it, this world runs on symbols, especially online stuff. I mean, what are YouTube videos? It's just a bunch of symbols, a bunch of pictographs put together in a way that looks like we're moving. What's Instagram? Instagram is blowing up because instead of just long blocks of text, it's like this fast symbol of something. So I think this is like totally one of the easiest ways that any young person can get into witchcraft. Let's say that you don't have a pen and paper. What are other ways that you can work with sigils? You can take some salt or sugar or flour, right? What's around the house? And you can just line it up, you know, with your finger. You can take your finger and get some dirt, you know, and just lay things out that way. Go to the beach, you know, go outside, clear up some clay, uh, a piece of charcoal. You know, some people have, like, just charcoal, even whether it's for, for barbecue or drawing utensil. That's another way uh, you can do it. And, uh, you know, with oils. As you mentioned earlier, you can play around with that. Now, when you're in the design process, you do want to make something physical so you can play with it a little bit. If it's totally invisible to start with, you're going to have a hard time doing, what does my sigil look like? You know, though, if you did oil with paper, you could probably get away with that, too. So there are so many different ways. I guess if you can get the mustard, <laughs> what condiments do you have in your fridge you know, to play around with? I mean, and I can almost imagine if you were making a sigil for, I don't know, improving the relationship that you have with your boyfriend or girlfriend, you could do the sugar thing, right? It makes perfect sense. It's like you're sweetening up the relationship, so you create the sigil with the sugar, or you can mm -hmm. actually put it after creating the sigil with the sugar. I can almost imagine, like, then you would use that sugar to sweeten your drink and yeah. your girlfriend's drink, you know? You're putting something that already has your intention in it. Into the, so it's not it's not just making the logos. It's not just making the symbols. You can, if you're making a stew or some sort of soup, you can do the same thing too. You can think about it as drawing it with like the noodles before you let them go in there and boil. Like you know, they're full six. Draw it into the bubbling water as it's going. Uh, you can do seasonings. Yeah, of course, if you have a really complicated sigil, it you know, it's not going to be so easy to do that. But if you see it in your mind's eye, at least. Uh, so I do recommend, keep it simple. doesn't have to, you know, the more stuff, more doesn't make it better. Simplifying it makes it easier for you to understand and for you to repeat it if you need to. One of the things that um, I was told about creating the best sorts of sigils, besides, you know, like making a sentence and then doing all that, like, whatever, taking out the vowels and the repeating letters, was also that you have to forget about it. You're supposed to, like, put it away, 
uh, totally forget that you even made it because if you remember it, it ain't gonna work. What's your opinion about that? Uh, that comes from Austin Osmond Spare's Book of Pleasure, which is where most of chaos sigil magic has come from. And it's a text that he wrote in his early 20s. He was very much inspired by Blavatsky and much of the big esoteric spiritual tombs of the time. You know, where I think they got paid by the letter. So, still it in. Uh, and another thing is, like, when you're in your early 20s, you tend to be like, I have to prove to the world how serious I am about this. And so he's got this passage in here where he's like, oh, and you, you must not, you know, you must forget it. You must release it. But he's really talking about don't fixate on it. You know, there are people who, you know, you, you tell them, okay, he's going to burn this candle or whatever and, you know, and dispose of the candle or whatever that you prescribe for them to do. And then they're like, did it work? Did it work? Did it work? I don't know if it's working. Uh, uh, you know, that that kind of thinking doesn't help anything because you're focusing on the task and not what the intention was. Mm, right. So I really think what Spare was talking about inside of all the fancy speak and, and esoteric jargon was just focus on the current, focus on what it is that you want to accomplish, but don't get caught up in the process too much. Don't fixate on, did you do it right? right? Because you should trust in what you're doing. You should be like, this is the thing. I believe in myself. I believe in my magic. I have power. Therefore, this thing will go off into the world. A mundane thing like finding a job, right? You're not going to be like, I'm going to do this and find a job. And then I'm not going to think about finding a job right after that. It's just going to happen as I like sit in a basement somewhere, <laughs> not connect with the world. And you have to get out there. And I think that's really what it is. And what happens is when people are so focused on the text and if they're doing it wrong, they miss the point. Mm. And Sarah himself was a visual artist and I completely believe that he had his own very intuitive process, much like how I work and how I talk about in the book. And it was the other cultists of the time, they're like, what are you doing and how did you do this? And again, at that age where you don't be like, well, I just came up with it. This is just how it works. I just do the thing. I sit there and I draw and it's magic. Nobody likes to hear that if they were you know, looking at these big books with this is how you should do it, and this is what the ancient Grimoire says that you should do. He's like, we came up with, we came up with this. He actually says it. If anybody reads the footnotes, he says, this is for my idiot friends who have to have a process every day. Just don't lust after results, which is like one of the fundamental sort of guidelines of effective magic. The more you clench onto the results being the way that you want it to be, the more you're going to suck and basically choke the life out of your magic. I mean, it's like that with any situation in life. If you're trying to, like, get into a relationship with, like, a really cute guy or a really cute girl, if you're constantly texting them, if you're constantly, like, if you start insta-stalking them and stuff, that desperate energy, you know, right? Because I've had experience with it myself. It's just going to drive the relationship away. And it's the same thing with magic. It's like with every single thing in life. Now, another thing that I learned from your book was about 
how different types of, I would say, learning styles can use sigil magic. Because in a lot of ways, I'm like a physical learner, kinesthetic, I think that's the word. And it had never occurred to me that I could use my body, like actually moving to do sigil magic. Can you explain what that actually entails? Well, spiritual beings having a human experience, and part of that human experience is feeling, you know, dancing, moving. Uh, if you're of age, you know, have a right partner that you, you're making love. All these different things are about connecting with your body and your spirit and the world around you. That's one of the things that I'm most excited about because I'm just thinking about like um, some studies I read a couple of years ago where they were advising women, especially before you go into some sort of like big negotiation at work or some sort of very stressful meeting, you should do power poses, mm-hmm. you know, like you should stand with your legs like shoulder width apart and your arms akimbo. So I'm thinking if these are just power poses with no real intent except to just feel confident, when you do magic on top of that, there's a lot of magic. It tries to disconnect the body and the spirit. I never really understood that because it's like if your body doesn't feel comfortable, if you're tired, if you're sick, it's really hard to do good magic. Hey everyone, thank you so much for listening to the Witches and Wine audio experience. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider supporting me on Patreon. You can choose between a few membership tiers. They're super affordable and flexible. Your membership helps me continue making videos, podcasts, articles, lots of different things about all the sweet witchy stuff. Links are in the show notes. Also, don't forget to go on iTunes and give this a five-star rating. Each five-star rating helps rank this podcast higher in searches so that as many witches can find and enjoy these episodes as well. Until next time, this is Chawan, signing off.